Early reports have it that about 20 minutes after class began, the young man came through the back door and began shooting. Rounding up his fellow students towards the middle of the classroom and asking, are you a Christian? And pulled the trigger time and time again when they answered yes. A couple of weeks ago, a domestic dispute between the husband or the, the, the father of a child and the mother just recently born. And after half an hour of the service, he pulled out his gun and shot both her and his baby. Several months ago, in the middle of a prayer meeting, another incident. And we wonder, God, how could you let this happen? Why would you let this happen? In a place that seems sacred and holy and set apart, a place of innocence and learning in a school, or a church, or during a, a midweek prayer meeting, in the midst of all of that, we, we cry out and we go, God, how can you let this happen? Why would you let this happen? And we like to blame it on things or people. But truth be told, it's just evil. It's just evil. There's evil in this world. There has to be evil in this world because Jesus Christ has come and conquered life and death. He's conquered both. And Satan cannot have it this way. He wants to be the ruler and he wants to destroy. He wants to take what God has made as pure and holy and he wants to wreck holes in it. He wants to take what God has made beautiful and pure and wreck it. And so there is evil. And it is no different today than it is back in Paul's day. Paul preaching in the town of Ephesus over and over, proclaiming Jesus Christ. And who comes? Who is the evil that initially comes? The religious. It's not like it's the, uh, the unreligious. No, it's first those that go, well, that's not the way I believe in God. And so there's this power struggle. And evil tries to win. And evil tries to destroy. And evil tries to cause pain after pain after pain. This is what Satan does. It is his job to create havoc, to ruin life. It is no wonder that here early Paul is preaching after he enters synagogue, speaks boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God, we read in verse 9, but some of them became obstinate, and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. Well, of course they did. That's what evil does. Evil comes into the very presence of an almighty God, in his house of worship even, and says, let's see if I can make people not trust God. Let's see if I can create fear. Let's see if I can remove any sense of safety, purity, 
and wholeness. And Satan tries to win. Of course, when Paul is preaching, there are people that are obstinate and go, no, I don't want to believe this. You know this in your own families. You know this at work. You know this in your own communities, in your neighborhoods. You know that there are plenty of people who hear the word of God and go, I'm not believing that. And in no small way, do not turn and go, well, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. No, it is not against them that we have this battle. It is against Satan. Do you understand? This is not against your neighbor. This is not against your coworker. This is not against your kids. Paul describes this battle in 1 Corinthians. This verse, two slides, here we go. Verse 32, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reason, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying, hey, you know what I was battling in Ephesus while preaching? Wild beasts. This is how he describes Satan in his attack through people against him. They were wild beasts, but you know what? We're going to preach the truth. Because if there isn't any truth, well, then we might as well just eat, drink, and die. And there are times where we wish we could just do this. Because it'd be a lot easier. It'd be a lot easier if God didn't compel us, if God didn't equip us. It would be a lot easier if God didn't say, hey, actually, you are my soldiers and I need you to jump out there and I need you to do something this side of heaven. It'd be a lot easier to just eat, drink, and die. I mean, we just revel in everything that happens. I mean, Texas actually showed life yesterday in trouncing my glorious rival of OU. I worshiped. <laughs> Eat, drink, and die. Be a lot easier. But you do realize that being Christians, that being a church, it is not about just watching the game. It's not about just uh, being on the side. But God says, get in the game. And what God says is, I, I, I've got this plan for you, but I want you to understand, there is going to be pain. There is going to be evil. This next verse in chapter 16 of Corinthians says, Because a great door for effective work has opened to me, Paul says, and there are many who oppose me. He says, because many oppose me, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to take a step forward and do God's work. Not the other way that we tend to think. Well, if there are a lot of people opposing us, I guess we need to back off. I guess if a lot of people are upset and angry, well, then we need to placate. I guess if it's hard, difficult, or challenging, well, we better retreat. It is nowhere a part of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, because a great door for effective work is open to me, I go. That's the next verse. 
These 12 verses from Psalm 91, I think, depict as David shares this challenge that he's got going on, right? It seems like the world is attacking. It seems like everything is falling apart. It seems like everything else is going on. And what he's reminded is, wait a minute, who's on my side? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. If you make the Lord Most High your dwelling place, and not just simply to live in your house built by your own hands, or your reputation built up, by your degrees and experience and everything that you have accomplished in this life. No, if you will make the Lord most high your dwelling place, if you will live there with Him, you have assurance. Yeah, there may be tens of thousands of people around you. And yes, you may be in a classroom someday. You may be in a place of worship someday. You may be somewhere where someone pulls a trigger. And you say, no, uh, Psalm 91 said it wouldn't happen. <laughs> they may take our lives here, but not for eternity. And there is nothing Satan can do, nothing to pull you away from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing. Oh, it will be bad. It will be horrible. Day in and day out, Satan will scheme. He knows exactly your weak points, and he will lead you down paths so that you will be destroyed, so that your marriage will be destroyed, so that your work life will be destroyed, so that your body may even be destroyed. Satan will absolutely work towards your destruction. He will absolutely tear apart your greatest dreams. All he does is kill, steal, and destroy. And his, his desire is your downfall. Satan's desire is that it would all blow up in your face. Satan's desire is that you'd become selfish and leave your spouse. Satan's desire is that you, as a child of your parents, would become obstinate and stubborn and give your parents, oh, holy heck. 
that you would be a poor employee stealing time and supplies. That even as a Christian, more people would find out that you're a believer and then watch you fall as a hypocrite. Satan loves it. And this is the battle that Paul finds himself in. This is the battle that he recognizes. Man, in Ephesus, I was there for over two years. It was incredibly hard and difficult. And where it was the most hard, he spent the most time. He stayed in the battle. Not running, not being afraid, but being equipped for every good thing. This is why later, and in his last letter that he writes to the church in Ephesus, he puts some of his most glorious writings to pen. Here in the letter to Ephesus, what we hear is encouragement and a, and a battle plan. Okay, God, if Satan's going to be tempting, and if my sin is easily going to overtake, and if this world is just going to be filled with evil, then what do I do? Ephesians 4. In your anger, do not sin. Why do I start here? Because Paul reminds it, this is a battle to be won and fought. And you better, by God, be angry at what Satan does. You better be upset when he rips apart another marriage. And when he comes in between another couple. When he comes in between a family. When he destroys another reputation. When he brings another one down. When he makes hypocrisy normal. You better be mad. But in your anger, do not sin. Do not be looking at that which we think is the cause and blame them. No, you turn that holy, righteous anger against Satan. And you acknowledge and you recognize it's because of him that things fall apart and that there is death and that there is evil. In Ephesians 5, we're reminded to live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Be angry, but without sin, recognizing it is Satan that is absolutely against us, and yet living a life of love. And I mean firm fervent, bold kinds of love. I mean loving people that are unlovable according to the rest of the world, even to Christians. It means loving neighbor, loving spouse, child, and coworker. Loving, actually showing it, sounding as if you believe it. Your face, people tell your face to show love. Just as Christ loved me. As he loved you. This is the motivation. This is what says, okay God, that's exactly right. You sent your son, he died on the cross for me, now sign me up. I have received, you realize right now, you have no fear of eternal life. Of whether or not you've been good enough for it. One, you haven't. Second, Jesus died for you anyway because of his great love of the Father. 
That's right. Because Jesus loved the Father, that love comes to us. And Jesus' love for us means that he would die for you. And that means everything this side of heaven and for eternity. But it means everything now. Everything. So be angry at what Satan is doing without sin. And in that anger, channel towards a love that is incomparable to the rest of the world. That the world would see that love. And Ephesians 6, get dressed. (laughs) You are part of the greatest army in the world. You are the best equipped and best trained. You have no fear or doubt of being routed. You have no reason to doubt the abilities of the Almighty God. Why? (laughs) Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. When you find yourself listening to the news report, oh, there we go again, it's that group. They're doing it again. Look what they've done. And you begin to use that name over and over and over. Whatever that name is, political name, race name, lifestyle name, whatever it is. You you want to call it out. You want a group of people together. And you want to lump them over there so that, well, I'm not a part of that group. As if somehow you're so righteous on your own. But he says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is what our battle is against. This is why we are angry. We should be angry without sinning as Christians. We should be mad every time Satan steals a marriage. We should be mad every time Satan steals a child away from the faith in which they were brought up, we should be mad every time Satan acts, whispers, cajoles, and encourages. And in loving them, we say, I will go to battle for you, my neighbor. I will go to battle for you, my neighbor. And so, put on the full armor of God. (laughs) You ready for this? Full armor? Are you ready for what's going to come? Because there's seven parts here. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. The implication here is that you are going to stand firm, that you are in the battle, and that you are not in retreat. But I need you to understand your position, and I need you to understand where God has you. This week I met one of our neighbors. He's not new. He's been in the neighborhood several uh, years, but I have been working my way down around the corner. So I was four houses away at another one of our members, okay, who's neighbors to this young man. He comes over. We're sharing an adult beverage rather late in the evening, nine o'clock at night. This is glorious. I don't work the next day. It's Thursday night. Okay, my weekend has begun. And I find out that the neighbor is 10th. 10th Mountain, Special Forces. And I was like, dude, do you know what I'm preaching on this week? Spiritual warfare. I was like, come on, tell me some story. Give me something that I can go with. I mean, what do you do 
for the Green Berets. He's like, I'm in charge of logistics and support. <laughs> Dang! I mean, at first I'm like, oh, this is not the story I wanted. I mean, I wanted some hard charging boot, door slamming. And, it, and then I thought about it and I said, you know what, that'll work. Because see, there's people that don't always get to be in the front lines in the battlefield. But it doesn't mean you're not a soldier. Doesn't mean you're not a part of the cause. Doesn't mean you don't still have the same anger and the same love, the same desire to do your job. He said, yeah, one of my greatest challenges is to take these young 18, 19, and 20-year-olds and convince them that what we're doing is vital and important to the mission. And I said, huh, funny. I have the same battle. Minor, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and 70-year-olds. If you need help figuring out where God has equipped you, you let me know. You let one of our staff know. You let somebody in your life group know. They will pray with you, they will dig into the scriptures, and they will help you figure out what that part that you are to play is. But I guarantee you've got to have your eyes open. You've got to be ready. And part of that ready is to wear the uniform. Here's the uniform. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The idea comes from this picture is that men of those days would be wearing, not skirts, robes, long robes. And when it came time for battle, they would take a belt and they would take that robe and they would fold it up around them almost as if it kind of looked like a diaper. Take a belt, put it around so that they could move, so that they were agile, so that they were ready for the fight. It means they were unencumbered, that a belt of truth helps you understand what is the mission? What are we doing? It removes all barriers. The belt of truth says, I'm geared up and ready to go. Put me in. The belt of truth is God's truth, not ours. Not what the world says. And sometimes that's a very hard truth. Sometimes we read in Scripture and we go, nope, we got to go the way God wants us to go. And it seems against culture and it seems against my own brain and my own reasoning. But no, I've got the belt of truth because that's a part of the uniform that God has given me. And that's what I wear is a belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever worn armor before. Maybe it's been in a play or something. Maybe you know somebody that has a, a bulletproof vest you put that thing on, go ahead, ask them if they can really kind of move around. No, what that breastplate does, that armor, it kind of stiffens you up. And what it, I love that it does is it whew, just comes out. I mean, you can't help but walk around like this. I'm telling you, it's that, it's that stiff, okay? And it's tight, and it whew, sucks it in. It doesn't matter what else you got normally going on there. It just sucks it all in. Here comes the chest. It's a breastplate of righteousness. And you know how people stand that are righteous? They stand tall. <laughs> they got the chin up, and they're ready to look around, and that breastplate of righteousness is not your own righteousness, but Jesus who has been given to, it's been given to you. Your righteousness, not your own, but Jesus. And you stand firm and confident in that. And you say, hold on, bring it on. Bring it on. 
Come on, Satan. Go ahead. Attack my family. No. See, we go, no, attack somewhere else, not, not my family. And what happens is you then fail to lead your family because you don't want attacks. Don't be afraid of that. Do not be afraid of Satan's attacks on your family. You've been given a belt of truth. You've been given a breastplate of righteousness so that you can stand firm. The next, feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. The idea is that the feet are shod from the top so that arrows can't come down or that you can't just have your foot stomped on. The idea is so that, again, you can remain standing firm on a foundation. And guess what that foundation is? But the gospel of peace. Now, wait a minute. You're talking about battle. You're talking about doing war. Uh, Now you bring up peace. No, let's explain this. This gospel of peace is not between mankind. It is between God the Father, the Creator, and us. Where God says, yes, you are a sinner. You deserve death. But I am going to bring peace through Jesus Christ. I'm going to establish a new relationship. And I want you to know where you stand. You stand on holy ground. Absolutely you do because that's how God has made you. You stand on holy, fertile ground, ground that is alive, ground that is worth fighting for, ground that is imperative for you to stand, guard, and fight. That is the gospel of peace, is that God has brought peace to you for eternity. And in response, he says, stand your ground. Next. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish, extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. These, these uh, shields were leather. The image and idea here is that this leather was dunked or soaked in, in water the night before battle. When you got it out, it was heavy. <laughs> it was kind of hard to wield around. Yet when the enemy shot out flaming arrows, and you know what fire does, Right? Fire on a battlefield especially brings about terror and and fear. It can make a battle, a, a strong army run and flee. But the idea here is that you've got a shield of faith. And in this shield of faith with the water, it extinguishes the flaming arrows of the evil one. You know what you're doing? You're saying, come on, Satan, give me your best shot. Let's go. Let's go. Let's take those flaming arrows. Give me your best Give it to me, because you know what? I have faith in the Almighty God, and nothing can advance against me. Evil cannot take over me. I know, right, the song says, who stands beside me, the God of angel armies is here. The helmet of salvation. That helmet shows honor. That helmet says, like you picture with a plume, okay? I belong. I'm saved. I have no fear of what can happen at the end of my life at all. Whether it be today, tomorrow, or in years, 
I have a helmet of salvation, and I will wear that helmet proudly, confidently, and boldly. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the most powerful offensive weapon we have as Christians. That we can speak truth into the lives of those around us. That we can defend when the world says, are you sure God's for you? I can read, yes, He is for me. Are you sure God's going to help you? Yes, Psalm 40 says, He will lift me up out of the pit, out of the mud and the mire, and set my feet firm on a rock. Jesus Christ. Sword of the Spirit, the Word of God that does battle and speaks truth. And lastly, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Frank Peretti's book, This Present Darkness, while not directly taken from Holy Scripture, I love the image that when the final battle scenes are happening, the old ladies in the church, the old men in the towns who no longer can wield a sword are on their knees with their heads bowed and their hands together and they are praying for the saints. They are praying for those that are there to be lifted up and encouraged, to be bold. I know what that feels like. From about 8.10 until about 8.35. From 9.50 till about 10.30. And from about 11.20 to noon. Every Sunday a group of people pray for me while I preach. And I feel the power of the Almighty God. Can you imagine if your spouse knew that you were praying for them, or your children when things were challenging and difficult, or your coworkers that you would be lifting them up, sending them a little quick note, a quick text, an email, a tweet, I don't care how you do it, gotcha covered under prayer. With this in mind, be alert. And at all times, all times we're in battle. There is no moment where Satan will give up. There is no moment where Satan will give reprieve. It is a battle at all times. And you say, how can I have that strength? How can I have that awareness? You by yourself? No. But look at the people around you. Do that now. Yes, even sisters and brothers. What if Christians actually supported each other in this battle against Satan instead of ripping each other apart. Friends in Christ, Paul says it was a battle. And when he writes towards the end of his life to the church in Ephesus, he says, stand firm. By the blood of Jesus Christ, my prayer for you is that you would absolutely stand firm in His grace. Amen.